0: Do me a favor, track down a Bible if you can, and get with me to Matthew chapter 18, the Bibles we have in baskets down by your feet. Matthew 18 would be found on page 799, 799, so please turn there with me. Uh, What we're starting into right now is a series on the kingdom of God, and we're noticing um, that as Jesus tells parables, he tells stories about what it's like to be a member of the kingdom and what it's like to participate in this kingdom, it's really counterintuitive. The things that he teaches actually go in a different direction from the worldview that we're most comfortable, most familiar with. The the kingdom of God is upside down in that sense, that we would expect for it to look one way, and then he teaches on it, and it's the exact opposite. And so that's what we're doing together. We're going to spend four weeks looking at these different kingdom teachings in Matthew chapter 18. And so we'll go through a few different chapters together uh, over the course of these weeks, but we're really just paying attention to the nature of this upside-down kingdom. Um, So I'm going to read the text. We're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 18, and we're going to go all the way to verse 14. So let's read it. It says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called the little child to him and placed the child among them, and he said... Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to, to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for, you to have, it's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones Should perish. Let's pray. God, we we ask right now that you would speak to each of our hearts and that you would help us to understand and participate in the kingdom of heaven. We pray, God, that as a church family, that we would embrace these different ideals, uh, that we would be willing to go in the opposite direction of what feels natural and normal, that we would humble ourselves, that we would be a relational community where it's safe and beautiful, that we would be careful in the way that we interact with one another, not wanting anyone to stumble in their pursuit of you. And help us, Lord, to care well like a shepherd going after wandering sheep. We, we pray that this place and these people would, would be the, the kind of church that, Lord, that you just look at and you your heart swells with, with love and admiration, Lord. Help us to be the people you want us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the kingdom is the question that the, the guys are asking about. The disciples are saying, hey, how do I become the greatest in the kingdom? And what we find is that Jesus begins to teach on relationships. In fact, a lot of the commentators point this out. Jesus will spend uh, a couple different chapters now explaining relationships in the kingdom of heaven. And what he tells us is very different from what we would, we would expect. In the world that we live in, most of us recognize greatness as getting to the top, that you do what you can to climb up, and you will climb over people, and you will use people, but it is this ascent to greatness. And Jesus says in the kingdom, it looks very different. It is a descent to greatness. You go down and you humble yourself. So let's look at the question, and it's in verse 18. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's a great question, and all of us ask it in some form or another. We're all wondering, how do I know that I'm okay? How do I know that in the eyes of God that I'm acceptable? And we also ask questions about how do we relate, how do we stack up against other people? How do we stack up against other believers? How can I be confident that you, God, accept me and that I am doing something significant for you? These are questions of identity. And everyone is asking these sorts of questions. I worked in student ministry for a long, long time. Identity was the main theme to be dealt with. People, young people, need to know who am I? What am I created to do? And am I okay? Where do I fit in in the world? That is the kind of question that we're addressing here. All of us are wondering. God, how do I know how to be great in this world? What can I do to be great in this world? And Jesus then begins to answer, and he gives us four different categories of greatness. He tells us that to be great is to be humble. He tells us that to be great is to be relational. He tells us that to be great is to be careful in the way that we relate to people. And finally, he tells us that to be great is to be pastoral. So let's take them one at a time. First off, he teaches on humility. He's telling us greatness in the kingdom is humility. And what he does here is he pulls a child in and he begins to teach using this object lesson. Look at verse two. He called the little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Here's what he's saying. If you even want to be in the kingdom, you have to be like a child. Now, in what way is he saying we have to be childlike? In what way is he saying children help us to understand this characteristic of being a member, a citizen of the kingdom of God? I don't think it is that they don't care about their rank right? They're saying, hey, who's the greatest? I, is Peter the greatest? Is John the greatest? Who's the greatest disciple? How do we know who the best dude is who's in this group here? And Jesus isn't saying, hey, here's a kid. The kids don't even care about who's great. You, you want to know why I know that? I've got two kids, six and four. What do they care deeply about? Who's the favorite? Who's the best? Who, they're, they're always wondering, do I have more than the other one? And they're always asking questions like that. They're always comparing. They're always wondering how they fit into into that paradigm, into that hierarchy of relationships. I don't think Jesus is saying kids just don't care. They care deeply. Um, This week, we got a a piece of mail. Uh, When the kids were little, I was encouraged by a handful of people to open accounts for them so that birthday money could go into an account, and then Ash and I could decide on a monthly basis we'd pitch in some money and watch, watch this thing grow, and so we got a statement this week, and I opened it up, and I looked at it and I said, Reese, you've got a lot of money, and she's like, let me see, and so she's looking, and I show her Reese Christine Williams, and she's looking at this thing, and she, then she sees Harrison's name, and she goes, do I have more than Harrison? Right, because that's what, that's what really matters. She doesn't know what the number is or what that means or what she could do with it, but she needs to know, do I have more than Harrison? Do I have more than my little brother? And She does. But here's the thing that we learn as Jesus is pulling a kid in and saying, here's what you need to know about the kingdom. Here's, what, here's the feature of children that makes them an ideal, um, an ideal illustration for how to get into the kingdom. They're dependent, right? They, they need everything. Everything that they have, they have to look to their provider to get for them. They, they're needy in the sense that, yes, they might have a statement that has a, a number on it, but they need dad to even interpret that for them, let alone to access it, right? Children are needy. They're, 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 they're poor. They're, they're poor in the sense that they're always having to relate to their provider to be able to get what they need. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, this is how the kingdom works. You can't even be a citizen, a member. You can't even enter the kingdom of heaven until you acknowledge your poverty, If you're going to be a participant in Christianity, there's a moment where you you recognize, I could try as hard as I can to be a good person. That's never going to earn me credit into heaven. I'm never going to be able to earn my way into heaven. You have to get to the point where you say, I am spiritually needy. And the only shot that I have of being admitted entrance into the kingdom of heaven is if God takes the initiative and does the work for me. If God opens it wide to me. Spiritual poverty is what Jesus is pointing at here. And he's saying, this is the way of the kingdom. You have to humble yourself. You have to be like a child. You have to acknowledge your need for God to do something for you because you can't produce in you the goodness that's necessary. That's what it means to be a Christian. Christian are, Christians are people who, who have come to the, to the realization, God is going to have to save me. I can't save myself and then we trust in Christ for our salvation and we receive it gratefully. But Jesus is saying then one of the key features of the kingdom is humility. We want to be the kind of people who not only enter the kingdom in that way, but also live in that way. He says, whoever takes this lowly position like this child will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. If you want to be great, the way to do that is to get low. If you want to be great, the way to, to pursue greatness in the kingdom is to grow in humility. This is such an important feature. It's such an important characteristic for believers. When I'm interacting with people, this is one of the key characteristics that I'm paying attention to. Does this person exhibit humility? If there's humility, often there is spiritual maturity. But where there are subtle traces of pride, I know, this, I know that's, that's trouble. Where pride is is bad. Here's what St. Augustine says. He says, if you should ask me, what are the ways of God? I would tell you that the first is humility. The second is humility. And the third is also humility. St. Augustine, got, he, he understood this. If you, if you want to understand the ways of God, humility is one of the key factors there. He goes on to say, that's not that, it's not that that's the only thing that you can talk about, but if humility does not precede all that we do, our efforts will be fruitless. We need to be like little children in the sense that we are willing to go low, that we are willing to be humble, that we are willing to always acknowledge our need for God. And the problem that I'm noticing in my heart and in the hearts of many Christians who have been at it for a long time, this does not come easily. This isn't the natural bent of our heart. The more that we've got kind of a history of attempting to be faithful to God, the more we want to point to the records and say, I deserve this. Spiritually People who've been on this journey for a long time, spiritual pride is this subtle thing that creeps in. And we keep looking at our performance and trying to say, I'm right with God because I've done all of this. And Jesus is reminding us, no, greatness in the kingdom is when we acknowledge our need, when we are humble. Um, so I hope that you will join me in this, in this agenda, this way of grace. I hope that you'll say, look, I want to grow in humility and I think some practical steps would, just be, would be praying for it, saying, God, I, I want you to show up in my life in such a way where it, just, it can only be described by your presence. I don't want to be able to do something in my own strength. I want you, Lord, to be glorified in my life. And I think if we pray in that way, God will, he will honor it. But we should be praying for humility. And, and I'm not saying that we can't do great things or, or have great experiences. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he was a noteworthy individual, and God leveraged his education, his training, his experiences. He leveraged all of that for the sake of mission. But when Paul looks at all that he has done, what does he say about it? When he looks at, you know, in, in our world, most of us are just trying to become more, more noteworthy so that people look at us and they go, wow, this, this person's really neat. They've done all these different things. Well, Paul, when he looks at his accolades, when he looks at what he has accomplished in Philippians chapter two, I'm going to turn there briefly and just read it to you. He, he looks at this experience that he has had, and then he makes an assessment. He says, if someone thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I've got more. He he then begins to outline all these different experiences in his life, that he was trained by a certain individual, that he's aware of the laws of God, that he spent so much time pursuing these different things. He has this passion for for the things of God, and, and he has this righteousness that he has been working on that is according to the law, and he says, it's faultless. Meaning he is dedicating his life to following God, to knowing God's word and applying it to his life. And he can say, and I've done a pretty good job at it. But then what does he say? Whatever was gained to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. He looks at his resume and he says, that's garbage. That's garbage. All this stuff—they're good things—but at the end of the day, the one thing that he celebrates is his relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, "This is the this is the one noteworthy thing about me. I trust in Jesus Christ. I want to know Him and the surpassing surpassing worth of this incredible Jesus Christ." So we need to be humble people, and I hope that you will join me in that ambition. That's the first thing that Jesus teaches here—that the the greatness in the kingdom starts with humility. Here's the second thing. Greatness in the kingdom is relational. It really does matter how we interact with one another. Greatness in the kingdom has a lot to do with how we deal with other people. Um, He he puts it like this in verse 5, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. He's saying, look, if you want to be great, you actually need to be willing to open your life to other little ones. You need to be able to open your life to other to other people. There's a relational dynamic to greatness. The question that they're asking, who's the greatest in the kingdom? It's, it's basically suggesting, who do, I have to, who do I have to get better than? Who do I have to be better than? In our world, here's what we do. We use people. We try to, we, they're obstacles. If, they're, if we're trying to get great in our company, organization, or life, we're trying to get above other people. So they're obstacles, or they are props that we use to try to manipulate so they can be on our team. I want this person near me so that I look better. But in the kingdom, it's different. In the kingdom, we don't treat people like an obstacle that we're trying to beat or or a prop that we're trying to use to improve our lives. We love and serve people because that's what true greatness is. It's a relational thing to be great in the kingdom. We look at other people around us and we say, I am going to love and serve whoever God places in my path. And ordinarily, it's these lowly ones, it's these little ones. In fact, he changes terms now. He goes from talking about a child to now he's just going to talk about Christians in general, and he uses a new word little ones. In verses 6, 10, and 12, he's saying little ones, anyone who's a little one, who is humble, who recognizes their need for God, anyone who is a believer in that sense, who's trusting in God, you need to be able to relate to them. You need to be able to care for them. You need to be be concerned about them because greatness in the kingdom isn't a solo project. It's a community project. And so we actually need to be thinking about one another and caring for each other. Um, Michael Green puts it like this, real greatness is not to be found in being praised and served by others, but in seeking others to serve, especially those who have no rights. We need to be thinking through, how can I welcome little ones in Christ's name? And by doing that, Jesus is saying, you, you're actually welcoming me. When we open ourselves up relationally to other people, we're, we're creating an environment where Jesus is there and he's present. So I hope that we would be willing to say, we have to be a church that is relational. We have to be a church that is more than, I come to this location on this day, and I sit and watch this dude talk. It has to be more about what's happening in these relationships sitting out here in the seats. And, and, and it really does matter. We want to create a vibe or a culture within our church where, where the, the relationships help people to thrive. They help people to pursue God. One of the guys that has really helped me out with this, his name's Ray Ortland, and he's a pastor down in Nashville, Tennessee, and he wrote a little book, and many of you have it because I gave it to you, but it's a little book, it's a green book called The Gospel, and the whole idea behind the book is the church is the place where the gospel needs to be made apparent in the way that people relate to each other. We can preach about God and what he has done for us, and we can be very faithful there, but there are plenty of churches that though the preaching is faithful, the relationships are not. And you can come into a church culture and it is not safe. It's hostile. And you can come into a culture like that and, and you're, not, you're not encouraged to grow in your faith with Christ. You, you feel oppressed and burdened. You feel at danger, at risk there. Because people are people in that environment can be self righteous and they're placing on you all kinds of different expectations. So Ortland puts it like this. And this was at a conference where he was speaking to other church leaders. He said some churches, some churches might have difficulty stepping into this low place of blessing. Some churches feel too important and too significant. And then he, he said this, and this just stood out to me. It stuck with me for a number of years now. He said, may all of our churches fail often enough, obviously enough, painfully enough to stay hungry and poor before the Lord. We don't want to be a place where we are doing everything in our own strength. We want to be broken enough that the blessing of the Lord is on our congregation. We want to be a place where we are so broken that anyone could come in here and they would feel relationally safe. They would feel like they can be welcomed here. There's there's not an expectation that they have to piece their life together before coming in, but they can just be safe here. Not that we don't want them to change, but we want to treat them with the dignity and the respect that God treats them with. He meets them where they're at, and then he walks beside them. So we want to be relational. That's what Jesus is teaching. Greatness in the kingdom means that we're going to care a lot about one another. We have to be willing to say, we're going to figure out how we can look around and care for each other and build these relationships out. Here's the third thing. Greatness in the kingdom is careful. And here's what, here's what he's talking about. He's saying there are little ones who've placed, the, anyone who's placed their faith in him, who've humbled themselves and recognized their need. And he says, And we need to be careful that we don't cause any of these little ones, these Christians, to stumble. We don't want to do anything that would cause them difficulty and pain and and anxiety as they're pursuing Jesus Christ. Look at verse six. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Sometimes I don't like what Jesus says. Right? This is one of those times he's not mincing words and he's just saying, look, you need to be careful that you are not putting a stumbling block in the way of people's pursuit of God. What does that, what does that mean? He's warning us. He says, woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. He's saying this is, not, this is something we want to avoid, obviously. We don't want anyone to stumble. So what does it, what does it mean To place a stumbling block in the way of a believer. What does it mean to place a stumbling block in the way of somebody pursuing Christ? Well, we get a hint at it down in verse 10. He says, see to it that you do not despise one of these little ones. One of the things that we do is we begin to look at other little ones and and we begin to think, I wish they would be different. I wish they would do these different things and I actually think it would be better for them, but if they're not towing the line, if they're not doing what we think they need to do, what, do we, what happens in our hearts? We get frustrated. We get angry. We start to resent them. We start to treat them with contempt. We despise them. We're placing stumbling blocks in the way of people when we are communicating by our expectations that, yes, you're saved by, by grace through faith in Christ, But here's what you really need to do. You really need to fill in the blank. And if you're not doing that, you must not be a good Christian. That that is a toxic environment. That is not a safe environment. We we do need to care about people and their spiritual growth, but we need to be patient and graceful. We need to be willing to deal with people where they're at. Let me illustrate this quickly. This shows up in my heart in a variety of ways. But one of the places where I just see it continue to show up is at bath time. So I've got two kids and bath time is that moment where I'm saying, I'm gonna get you in the water. There's a routine here. We can do this quickly. We can expedite the process. And then you guys can get out and you can put your jammies on and you can get cozy and do all of that. What do the kids wanna do? They wanna play. They're splashing around in there. They're goofing off, they're laughing. And I'm trying to work. I'm trying to get them clean. I'm I'm saying, look, life is better if you're clean and we get out of this tub and we can go do some other stuff. And they're splashing me, but what's going on in my heart? I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting angry with them. I'm starting to be resentful. These are my kids that I love and they're playing. Don't we do this all the time with, with Christians, with other believers, and we go, I just want, I'm just, you would be a lot happier if you were cleaned up. You'd be a lot happier if you did these different things and we get impatient with them, and then we start to treat them with content, with resentment. And and we begin to place these stumbling blocks because what we're really communicating is, if you really want to belong here, if you want anything to do with me, you better do what I want you to do. That's placing a stumbling block, and Jesus is saying, you have to be very careful in your relationships. And if there is this spiritual bullying that is going around in your church, you need to get rid of it. In fact, he puts it like this. He says, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Now, obviously there are individual applications. There are things that we do that we need to be rid of, that we need to get out of our lives because they're causing us to sin. But in this context where it's talking about relationships and causing somebody to stumble, this is that situation where if there are unrepentant people in our community who are spiritual bullies, who when people come in, they're not safe. He's saying those people you should put out in love because you do not want to create an environment that is toxic and unhealthy and unhelpful. And he goes on to explain that a little bit later. In the same chapter, he explains this concept of forgiveness and uh, kind of brutality in relationships. And if somebody is unwilling to repent, he's saying, look, this is not healthy. And so he's telling us here, we need to be careful. Our relationships really, really matter. And how we handle people when they come in here and the expectations we place on people, they, they really matter. They can either help people thrive they can create this safe environment for people to pursue God or we're placing our expectations on them and, and we are causing them to stumble in their faith in Christ. So let's be very, very careful because God cares. Look at verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that there are angels in heaven always see the face of my father in heaven. Here's the point. Jesus is saying, These little ones, every person who comes in here, every person who humbles themselves and looks to God to find what they need because they can't produce it on their own. Every person who comes before God, he's saying, I intimately care for them. I care about them. So be very careful in how you relate to these little ones. I care deeply about them, God is saying, and so we need to care as well. So here's the fourth and final element of greatness in the kingdom. It is pastoral. And I don't like that word. It's the only one that I could figure out that kind of went with the other ones. Careful, relational, pastoral. Kind of sounds the same. But here's the deal. We need to be pastoral. We need to care for each other in the way that we relate. Pastor is a Latin word that means shepherd. And Jesus here uses one of his favorite parables. And it's a parable about a lost sheep. So look with me at verses 12 and following. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he's happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. What's the point? He's using this parable. He's saying, look, in the kingdom, God cares deeply about the one. They're they're little ones who are going to come in here and they're going to be tempted to wander away from God. And what we need to be concerned with is how can we pursue them and restore them and get them back into God's family? How can we get them back into that safety, into that fold of God caring for his sheep in in this environment? And he's saying, this is what the shepherd does. He goes after the one. He leaves the 99 safely on the hills. He pursues the one and that is greatness in the kingdom when we are willing to say, every person matters. Every person in here and every visitor that we have matters deeply to God. And we're actually going to pay attention to that and strategize for that because we want people to know that here you can be safe as you pursue God. And we're going to, if you begin to wander away, it's going to be a community affair. We're going to go after you because we care for you. This reminds me of another place in the Bible, Ezekiel 34. It's a place where God is speaking about his sheep. It's another illustration of sheep being the people of God and the need for shepherding. And here's what he says. Ezekiel is speaking against the shepherds, the leaders of the people of God. And he says, he's, he's saying, woe to you shepherds, because you have not fed the sheep and you have not went after the wandering.'" And you have not bound up the sick or the injured. You have fattened yourself. You've not done what you are supposed to do. You are using the flock for your own benefit. And God sees that and he is not happy. And it reminds me of the importance and the significance of what we're doing here. Every single person matters. And and I I have to acknowledge that my responsibility is to feed and lead and go after the wandering and bind up. The wounded and do what I can to help as many people as possible be in that safe environment where God's grace is flowing freely. But he goes on to talk about the flock as well. And he says, this isn't only a leadership issue. It, it, it matters to every single member of the flock. And he says, there are some who are sleek and fat and they are shouldering their way to get what they need. And they are in that community, but they are doing harm to other people. And he's speaking against that. And God is saying, and one day my shepherd's going to come and he's going to lead my people faithfully. And he's going to go after the wandering and he's going to bind up the wounded and he's going to take care of the sick and he's going to feed them and lead them beside still waters. God is going to do that. But here's my point. All of us in here have to care about one another. The church is supposed to be the place where we're looking after each other, where we don't want spiritual bullying to be a thing as people are just kind of doing their own thing. If you want to be great, here's what I think Jesus is saying here and also in Ezekiel 34. If you want to be great, you can't be by yourself. I know that this is very contrary to our Western experience where we go, what really matters is my relationship with God. And that's what I'm really paying attention to. But, but Jesus is pushing us here and he's saying, if you want to be great in the kingdom, You need to look around and say, Am I blessing and serving other people? I can't be great if I'm by myself. I need to be concerned with the flock. And if anyone is going away, I'm going to join in the efforts of the good shepherd going after the lost sheep. I'm going to be a part of that. That's what greatness looks like. We see that greatness, the greatness, who's the greatest in the kingdom? It's Jesus. He is the true shepherd. He calls himself the true shepherd the one who loves the sheep and knows their name and they respond to his voice and he does everything that is necessary for their good. We're following him. He is the rescuer and redeemer. He's the one who's given us salvation. We humble ourselves and experience his goodness and his grace and then we join him in his efforts to care for his flock. And so I hope that you will also join in that effort. Let's pray. And band, if you would come, we'll, we'll worship once more, but let's pray. God, would you help us to follow our king? And we know that following him will cause us to do things that aren't normal or natural. But we trust you. And if you're calling us, God, to, to do a better job of creating gospel culture for our church, then would you make us bold and courageous? and willing to take steps of faith to try to help see that become a a profound reality here. God, I I really do want us to be a humble community. I want us to be relational. I want this to be a place where people come in and it's kind of famous for how people get cared for. I I want us to be careful in the way that we deal with people, knowing that we can be brutal and harsh and self-righteous and so help us to be careful that we're not placing stumbling blocks in the way of any little one who is seeking you. Help us, God, to be pastoral, not just me as the pastor, but us as a community. Help us to think about how we can care for each other and encourage one another and, and help each other along. Lord, this is well beyond our ability. So we're looking to you. We ask for your Spirit's help, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.